This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. When it comes to your finances, go for the credit card that's always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. That means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We're talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hi, this is Daryl Close. And when I'm not up at 2 a.m. feeding a newborn, I'm stacking Benjamins. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and today we're talking about your money story. My money story's simple. I'm waiting patiently for a windfall. Yeah, oh really? That's not a money story? Tell that to my accountant. Says it's pretty much my only hope. Here to share her version of a money story, we welcome the host of Her Money Matters podcast, Jen Hemphill. Also, why did the stock market drop last week? And we'll share some good news about millennials and saving money. But that's not all. We'll still throw out the Haven Lifeline to Michael, who wonders about a health savings account at his company. We'll tackle another listener letter, and I'll share the best story on this podcast, my trivia. And now, two guys who need a story to explain what a mess this basement is, Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. You're the one that got it dirty. Blame it on me. Doug got it dirty. That's the first thing you did when you were eight years old, right? You immediately point, I pointed my finger quicker than my brother did that was always the you had to be the first one you had to it's like that family circus cartoon where it had like the invisible character named not me and who you know do you remember that yeah funny pages who did it well not me did it and it's this kid that always got in trouble oh mom made sure i saw that one oh yeah mom specifically oh look at this one see we have not me in our family. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Not Me Show. I'm Joe Salci. Hi, Average Joe Money on Twitter and across the card table from me for another week. It's the one and only other guys. We call him OG. I am the one and only. And I saw somebody on Twitter the other day. What was that about? Broadcasting themselves as the other guy. I got to trademark this stuff, dude. It, it was so weird, too, because there was no context. They showed his face and everything. What's that about? I know. If, yeah, why? Why it said the other guy? I'm raving fan, maybe. I'm not sure. If if, if you're going to try to steal something, at least do it correctly, right? 
Come on, get it right. Hey, you know something else people get wrong, OG? 48% of all Americans, according to a 2016 Gallup poll, don't own any stocks. That's horrible. M1 Finance is out to change this trend and help everybody really be invested. They built an incredibly powerful and yet amazingly simple online investing tool. You can open an account with as little as 100 bucks. With M1, you can select from one of dozens of professionally designed portfolio pies, as they call them, or customize it to your liking by selecting any securities from the NASDAQ or the NYSE. M1's flexible, so it grows with you as your needs change over time. Give it a try. Check out M1 Finance today. It is free with a capital F-R-E-E. Use it on the web at M1. That's M1Finance.com. StackyBenjamins.com forward slash M1Finance or download their mobile app on iOS or Android, M1 Finance, be invested. And thanks also to LegalZoom for supporting Stacking Benjamins. Head to LegalZoom.com today and get a special savings when you enter SB at checkout, LegalZoom, or Life Meets Legal, LegalZoom.com. We've got the dot something today. <laughs> that went nowhere. We put the dot com in podcasting <laughs> i don't i don't know no try again but the good news is we got jen hempel talking about your money story and we're all a product of our money story i can't wait to talk to our good friend jen hempel about that but first we got headlines so let's move hello darlings and now it's time for your favorite part of the show our stacking benjamin's headlines our first headline comes to us from cnbc written by liz moyer this piece, Wharton's Jeremy Siegel, heard of him, OG. Actually, I've seen him speak before. Mm-hmm. And he's smart, smart young man. Yeah, that's, he's, he's a character too, isn't he? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, that guy, this guy knows how to tell a story that makes a ton of sense. He says a market correction could be just what investors needed. Too many momentum traders pushed the stock market to dizzying heights, Siegel said on CNBC. The market pullback doesn't signal a bear market, but possibly a correction coming that will chase out the speculators, according to Wharton School Finance Professor Jeremy Siegel. We just had too many momentum players, Siegel said last Monday on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. The rally got a little overexcited. You think the rally got a little overexcited? I don't know. I just love the fact that all these people have opinions on, well, today's the day it starts to go down, or today's the day it starts to go back up, or it's going to go down 10, it's going to go down 15, it's going to go up 10. Wait, uh, Jeremy Siegel didn't say he knew where the market was going. He just kind of just said. He just kind of said he doesn't. He was at dizzying heights or something like that. Right. Okay. And he doesn't. He doesn't think it's a bear. So that may say a little something to your point. But but all he said was the rally got a little overheated. According to what? According to him. To him, apparently. <laughs> According to the fact. No, there's a lot of data that says that. I mean, look at look at the the month of. We have done stories about the month of January and December where more money has gone into equities than any time before. Money just pouring, pouring into the equity markets. Seems like a little overheated rally, don't you think? I like the baiting, but I'm not going to bite. I just don't know, and it doesn't matter. That's the thing that bothers me the most is that. You've got, whether it's Jeremy Siegel, and he's certainly the less callous of the group, but Jim Cramer or Nouriel Rabini or any of these other talking heads on these uh, television programs that their only job is to sell advertising, mind you. So they've got to sell something. They're selling their book. They're selling their trading system. They're selling their, you know, whatever, eventually. What's what's Siegel selling? Going to Wharton? 
<laughs> Maybe. I mean, it's, he I has can't. a book. A number the, of them. He doesn't mention it. No, but I, th- but, but I think of the salesman, and I totally get your point, because whenever a, a growth fund manager comes on CNBC, they talk about how great growth is right now and how we should be growth-oriented. But Jeremy Siegel seems a little less salesy to me than uh, the average CNBC guest. True, but I'm not just talking about the CNBC guests. I'm talking about CNBC itself, right? Like they're trying to sell advertising and, and sure. all this other. So what people need to come on TV and say is this is perfectly normal. We have no idea what's going on. Nobody knows what's going on. No one can forecast what tomorrow will bring or the next day or the next year. But 70% of the time, the market goes up. So you should probably keep on investing. The problem is, is that you can only say that two or three times over the course of a year before there's no sense in having a television program anymore. Before the market downturn a couple of weeks ago, the S&P 500 added 32% from the November election through Thursday before last. So it says here, even a 10% decline, quote, isn't a disaster. Oh, it'll feel like a disaster. <laughs> Which how many times have you heard people talk about what a disaster that the pullback has been? Oh, it's, a, it's the end of the world. Kramer even said it's broken, right? Something was broken. He's already got his opinion about what, what's going on. Oh, well, he just said thingies are broken. But might not have used the word thingy. That was the who's a, it's and the what's it's. That was, I saw an article that uh, maybe it was because of uh, quant trading. I saw that too. Like, okay. I saw a lot of articles saying that it was about uh, program trading and machines. You know, that brings you up- Let me a, tell you what the reason was? Because there were more sellers than buyers. It brings up a great point, which comes from one of my favorite books, Trading Rules, which is an older book uh, written by a guy who worked on the, on the Chicago Exchange. These guys are, are doing commodities, right? I mean, this is some hardcore trading, and they're taking a lot more risk than probably 99.9% of the people that listen to this show take. And this guy in his trading rules, one of his first trading rules, OG, is realize just how small you are and how your brain will never get around exactly why stuff happens. And everybody tries to tell you why they think something happened. You will never know. It's impossible to know. The, The market's too big. There's too much going on for you to know. So, uh, but, but I still, uh, I still think that's, uh, fun to bait you. And I get upset when you don't take the bait. That's kind of annoying. Let's move on. See if I can bait you with this one. This comes to us from market watch this written by Quentin Fatrell. There's been a spike in the number of millennials with a hundred thousand dollars saved. OG. That's some good news, huh? Dang. The most fortunate young Americans have been boasting about oh, they're their fortunate. Okay. Well, no, 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 no. This is something else that we talked about last week. The most fortunate young Americans have been boasting about their million dollar 401k balances on social media. But there's a size of hard work and uh, discipline. Totally fortune. There's the draw. There's a sizable number who have seen a savings bump in recent years. Nearly half of working millennials have $15,000 or more in savings. And 16% have 100000 or more in savings, according to Bank of America's Better Money Habits Report, which surveyed 2,000 millennials aged 23 to 37. 16% of millennials, $100,000 or more in savings. Okay. It's good stuff. High five. What do you want a cookie? What, well, good job. and actually, that's, that's a good point. They have $100,000 saved. My first question, why? Great. Excellent. Like, uh, why? Why do you have $100,000 saved? Congratulations. I mean, it's good. It's great. But f- for what? Yeah. For God willing, it's not in a Bank of America savings account. <laughs> <laughs> B- 
Bank of America, if you want to send your hate mail to OG at stackingbenjamins.com. Here are some other findings. The majority of millennials are saving and they're more likely to say they have a savings goal. 63% are saving. I turned that around. 37% of millennials aren't saving a dime. Doing it later. They're doing it now. They're, they're just going to do it later. Can we afford to have a third of our millennials not saving any money? How is that any different than any other generation? Good point. They're more likely to say they have a savings goal. 57% of a savings goal. Once again, uh, 43% that don't, don't really have a savings goal. So if you take the difference between those numbers, you have a significant number of millennials that are saving money with no goal. Mm-hmm. Which is better than not saving with a goal. Agreed. But, uh, but by the same token, yeah. I want to... Uh, jot down a few ideas, maybe on a scratch piece of paper or something. But going back to Jeremy Siegel in this, uh, wanting to to figure out what the, where the mistakes were made, you're more likely to want to know where the mistakes are made and wonder what's going on with the market and get involved in the hot stuff if you're not saving for a goal. I think saving for a goal keeps you grounded in volatile times. Well, it keeps it from those other things entering your mind like, well, maybe I should get into this stock or maybe I should get into that stock. I have an interesting story maybe we'll talk about a little bit later. You have an about- interesting story? That's a first. You've been waiting five years for the interesting story. We're just trading jabs the whole morning. I like this. <laughs> this is this is getting, this, I'm feeling a little frisky. It's, it's about time we got the interesting story. We have what I will call an interesting story. He Maybe said you as, won't. He said as he chuckles to himself at the end of it. <laughs> I got a funny, but not a ha-ha funny story. <laughs> Anyways, more ironic than ha-ha funny. Nevertheless, maybe I'll talk about it a little bit later, but where you can get trapped into some of these kind of weird things if you're, like you said, you don't have a goal for your money. If you've got a plan for savings or, or, or goal that you're trying to accomplish, then you kind of can keep the noise out and you just keep on your path. Here's a troubling statistic. While millennials are likely to bring up the topic of salary at work, that's not always the case at home. Nearly one in five millennials don't know how much their spouse or partner makes. I'd definitely keep that from her. (laughs) This is what she has no idea how little money you make, does she? No. (laughs) (laughs) Champagne diet beer budget here in the OG household. You've no, no, we're saving it for later, honey. We're saving it all for later. She's like, where's all the money? I'm like, oh, it's put put away. It's savings. Millennial studies suggest have fewer responsibilities than our older counterparts. They're more likely to rent than own property. And unlike their parents and older siblings are less likely to have kids. They spend more than an average of $2,300 per year than older generations on five key items, groceries, gas, restaurants, coffee, and cell phone bills, according to personal finance site Bankrate. And they spend $233 per month on meals versus $182 for older generations. I kind of think, though, as people get older, you really start locking that budget down. Well, it's just circumstances, right? I mean, if you've got you know a family of five and three of them are under the age of five, you're not going out to fancy dinners anymore. You know, it just, you do that a lot less or whatever. So you spend more time cooking at home, just, just circumstances more than anything. I don't know, man. When I was a financial planner, I felt like a lot of my older clients, especially ones in retirement, had a firm grasp of their budget. Like if I had to categorize one group of people that had the firmest grasp of their budget, it was retirees. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I did a whole bunch of dumb stuff when I was a millennial. Well, I guess I never was a millennial, but you know what I mean, when I was that age. But what, but, but I what, still do a lot of dumb stuff. But what if we treat it that way? I mean, what if we treat it like we have a fixed 
amount of money. And we've had some people that are great savers on, and that's kind of the recurring theme, isn't it? You know, I feel like I've got this fixed amount and it's different than what I make. What I make has nothing to do with what I spend. And what I spend is in this lockbox. It's this, it's this airtight box that well, I'm not so going to spend save more. first, right? You got to pay yourself first. We've learned that from <laughs> finance day one. Always make sure that you pay yourself first. So uh, people who establish that habit right out the gate. I had never heard that before today. I thought you coined that. Just breathe through it. Feel the burn. Feel the rage growing inside of you. <laughs> Welcome to the dark side. <laughs> I can sense it within you. The show's on a bender, folks. Is just, what, what does he say? <laughs> Your hatred grows. Welcome to the Off the Strike Rails. Strike me down and join the dark side. <laughs> Podcast. Uh, I think our lessons for today is uh, don't uh, podcast with OG after four cups of coffee. And then number two is think you know where the stock market's going? Doesn't matter. Stick with your goals. Have a goal. Stick with the goal. And that'll get you through it. Jen Hempel has a fantastic podcast called Her Money Matters. And guess what, OG? She now also has a book called Her Money Matters. And she talks a lot at the beginning of the book, and this is what I'm going to want her to dig into, is this idea of this money talk about our past stories, like where we came from. I think a lot of people don't realize what a product of all the events that happened to us before are. And it's funny, I went through hypnosis one time, three sessions to find out why I have this love of fast food. And it, it was funny because in the end, I realized it was, I equate fast food, and I still do, but now I know that I do. I equate fast food with like warmth and family because we'd go get my dad from his work break and we'd go to a fast food joint, you know, because he didn't have much time and we'd sit there together. And I remember laughing and having fun over hamburgers. So now I think of hamburgers, French fries, and family time all together from my early days. And it's, it's funny how that impacts who we are today, right? Got to fight past, fight past the Whataburger. Every time I see one, oh, there's true love. That's the patty melt talking. <laughs> mm. Has nothing to do with family. That's that patty melt. That's true love between me and Patty. Patty Melt, yes. Uh, Jen Hemphill. Going to talk about that with your money. Money stories. Like it. Jen Hemphill, how are you? I am doing good. Your mom gave me the red carpet treatment. She gave me brownies and un cafecito. She really, she already knew how I like my coffee. Isn't that crazy? She's so good at that stuff. And I mean, look at me, I'm a disaster. And she totally makes up for everything. And then you had my type of music as I came down the stairs. <laughs> well, that's that, a... <laughs> that was just amazing. That's really, a... Thank you. That, that was red carpet treatment at its best. Yeah, I should lie and tell you that's for you. But that's like my favorite song to bring people... <laughs> Love it. Hey, so congratulations on the book, by the way. Thank you. But before we do that, there's this bean bag that I have my eyes on. Is it okay if we just do the interview there? Oh, we got to move. Okay, hold on. Hold on. Okay. 
All right. They, it looks real comfy. Come over here. In a beanbag. Okay. Yeah. All right. Are you happy now? Although it's weird, like holding my microphone this way. <laughs> it is, but it's so cool. The beanbag. I haven't been on one. The last one we had, the dog just chewed it up. If we fall asleep, well, we're, well, well, you'll keep us awake. Let's get into this though, Jen. You talk about money stories and I want to hear at the beginning of your book, you talk about past money stories, present money stories, and future money stories. And I think this is this is really a great place for people to start in general. But let's hear your past money story. What is, what's Jen Hempel's money story? My money story, I was born in Colombia and I grew up with my father's American, my mom's from Colombia. And there was one point in our life where we were living outside of Bogota. Like basically we commuted back and forth. We, my parents worked in Bogota and we went to school in Bogota. And there was one night we drove back to the house that my parents were building in the middle of nowhere. We got a flat tire and these guys came and robbed us, right? Oh, no. We were, yeah, we were, we were literally, it was a spot where I guess it was not very good to be stranded on because no one would stop and help us. Like no buses, nothing. Wait, so, so there's people, so there's people driving by. And no one would stop. And you're getting robbed. Is it clear that you're being robbed? I, I mean, to a passerby, I mean, would they think little, so? We were kind of, we were asleep and all of a sudden these guys were knocking on the windows with guns and I'm like, what in the world is going on? But the worst thing of this night was that my parents didn't have any cash. They had like a checkbook that there wasn't much in that bank account. They had my parents' wedding rings and an emerald ring that was supposed to be handed down to me. Oh. Like that, that one I really remember just because it was a beautiful ring. But that night, it really hit me because I knew my parents were very hardworking. Money was scarce. Uh, they were, that was a conversation that they had, a, that was just a tense conversation in between my parents. And that night I realized that even having money or what I learned, the money story that was relayed to me in that event was that having money wasn't necessarily good because oh. you could get robbed. <laughs> uh, so I had a mixture of, well, we don't have enough money that caused problems, but if you do have something of value and it, it can get robbed, so maybe you shouldn't have that either. So that was just some of the early on of my money story of, you know, it's, it's, you have to have it, but you know, a lack of it causes problems. And then if you have it, because on top of that, my dad's from you know, he was the gringo, right? He was from the US. Right. So in that time frame, of course, this is no cell phones. I'm aging myself. <clears throat> <laughs> the early 80s, the perception of Americans was that you had money automatically. So my dad was six foot tall. And in that time, that was tall. Like in Colombia, six foot tall was like a giant. And on top of that, pale, freckles, red hair, you had money. Like that was like the tall tale sign that you had money. So that was another thing in Colombia that attracted people with my dad because it's like all of a sudden they saw him. Oh, he must have money. So it was just, I remember, and my dad would tell me, yes, we, I would have to grab your hand and run down the street as soon as someone, it looked like he was going to get robbed. It was, it was interesting time. So it was a lack of money caused problems, but then having money or the perception of having money also caused problems. But it's funny how how so many people like don't 
analyze because I'm sitting here thinking, how many people have that same feeling, right? We say, I was reading this uh, piece recently saying, you know, whatever we decide to desire, we largely get what we focus on. Like if we focus on something mm-hmm. all day long, we get that thing. And the problem is we focus on the wrong thing. And if you're focused on having money is bad, that's a huge barrier to fight through. Absolutely. And, and that's something that you know I've overcome over the years, but it's something that I st- not struggle with. But for example, I am still from that, from my upbringing and just the experience I had, I will still lock my door outside in the driveway. I mean, that's just still instilled me just, I don't know if it's, and I feel secure, right? But for some reason, I still have that habit. Oh, nope, something could happen. <laughs> and we lock that door. But yes, it, you're, you're right. You have to work through that because if you continue to think those thoughts, it can definitely limit you and what you can achieve. But you've taken that and you've kind of turned it into a positive because now, Mm -hmm. because you think you have this kind of scarcity mentality built into Jen's head, like you negotiate everything. Yes. Oh, negotiating. I think it's the Latina blood in me. That's what I saw early on in my childhood negotiation. And when I got married, uh, I married a military man and that wasn't anything that he would do, but I would negotiate, I would get on the phone, negotiate our bills anywhere that I could. And this is not, you can't go to a grocery store necessarily right? And negotiate down your groceries. (laughs) Uh, You can try, but there was a point where early on in our marriage that I would do that. And my husband was embarrassed, Really, literally embarrassed when I would do that. He's like, just, just pay what it's, you know, what they're asking you. I'm like, but you can negotiate a little bit here, right? What would you (laughs) do? Would it be like a box of cereal has a little bent thing on it and you're like, Oh, this is, this is a little broken. So I'll give you two bucks instead of three bucks. Or what would you do? I knew, you know, when I got married to my husband, I had been to the, in the U S for a while. So I wouldn't negotiate the grocery store, but then again, we also lived overseas and there, like when we lived in Peru for a time, oh yeah, that was on. Like I would definitely, we would go bartering, negotiating. And he was like, why do you still have to do that? I'm like, because we can save some money. But then later on, he's, you know, he caught on and uh, he came home one day. He's like, you would be proud of me. He had negotiated something or asked for a discount (laughs) or something to that extent. And I'm like, yes, he's finally turned around. (laughs) What's the key? What's the key to negotiating? I mean, let's go from money. I want to get back to money story here in a second. But with negotiating, what are some of the keys to remember? Well, the keys to remember one is really understanding what the product or what you're buying is really worth. The point of negotiation is not trying to take advantage of someone, right? It's not really, that's not the point. The point is just to, things are overpriced. So it's the point is just to lower it to a point that is just fair, a fair price, right? So it's really understanding the value of that product, uh, service, whatever you're dealing with. And what you feel it's worth. What is a good balance of what it's worth? You know, the, uh, well, and it sounds like just, just asking, like you'd never get it unless you exactly. ask. Exactly. Yeah. Cause I never exactly. ask. I'm, I'm totally, you don't like ask? Your, I'm totally like your husband. I'm like, well, no, 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 no. I should connect you with him. He'll, he'll change your mind now. <laughs> I remember, I remember, uh, Cheryl and I were in Mexico for the first time. It was, it was actually my first time out of, well, I've been to Canada because I lived in Detroit, but, but, but I'd never been anywhere but Canada. So I'm a second time out of the country 
and we're in Mexico and we're at this bazaar and I bought these maracas. And it was funny because I said, oh, those are cool. My kids were like two. And I thought, oh, this would be awesome. How much for the maracas? They told me how many pesos it was. I reach in my wallet to take the money out. And Cheryl like kicks me hard, <laughs> kicks me hard. And, and I'm giving the person the money and I get the maracas. And she's like, what the hell are you doing? I'm like, what do you mean? What the hell am I doing? I just bought some maracas. No, that's their starting price. That's not what they're. I'm like, oh, I hate this. I hate it. <laughs> Just oh, yuck! Oh, it's always fun. I I enjoy it because it's just it's kind of, for me. It's an adrenaline rush. Some sure. people like to go to amusement parks and go on those rides. I don't like that. <laughs> but negotiating that is my thing for sure. So we tell ourselves our past money story then to loop this back around to find what our I suppose what our strengths and weaknesses are about ourselves, like the history of how we got to where we are. Right. And it's also to compare it to the present, because sometimes what happens is since we don't acknowledge our past money story, we're going to repeat those same cycles. Mm -hmm. So that's why it's important to understand the money, the past money story, compare it to what how you're feeling presently about your money and see, are there any repeating patterns? Yeah. This idea of not having enough, the negotiation. I mean, those are all a part of who you are and and know why you're, you're where you're at. So that brings us to the second piece then, Jen, which is the present money story. What's that all about? Mm -hmm. So the present money story is how you feel around money now. And in really, again, comparing it to the past money story, are there any repeating patterns? Or are you recycling uh, some of those thoughts? And then from there, if you are, what? how are we going to change those for the better? So if let's say for me, we grew up hearing a lot of we don't have the money and we can't afford this. So I found myself into my adulthood that I didn't realize that, but I was still thinking those thoughts, even though sure. I was putting away uh, for you know our emergency funds, we were putting away for retirement, but I was still thinking those thoughts and I became very, very frugal and there's nothing wrong with being frugal, but I wasn't enjoying life, right? Mm. So when I realized that I have to, I had to take a seat back and just really look at, well, I am really limiting myself and how I think about money. So it's more of how do I want to think, how do I want to feel around money, right? Do we want to get excited and looking at the bank account? Because some people fear that, right? Looking yeah. at the bank account or going in about, and you're going about to swipe the card and you're like, oh, is this going to be enough? So you want to shift those thoughts into more abundant ones, into more that serve you. So how did you shift it for you where budgeting became more fun? <laughs> really, for me, it was more about, of course, first was acknowledging the past, yeah. right? And that I, that was there and looking into how do I want to feel in the future around money? So I wanted to feel excited. I wanted to feel that we had enough money. I wanted to feel that there was no... Um, nothing impeding us into what we wanted to achieve financially. Right. So then from there, I started, instead of thinking we can't do this, I would ask us, how can we make this happen? Oh. So, so it was more of, let's say there was a trip that we wanted to take, but we were looking at a bank account instead of thinking, Oh my goodness, that's not enough money. I would ask myself, how can we make this happen? And so it takes you to, okay, what kind of trip do you want to take? You look at the, the flights, 
or, you know, the transportation to get there, everything that's involved in that trip. And then you figure out, you estimate a, a dollar a figure for that trip. And then you work backwards. And from working backwards, you can look at, okay, how, how many, and how many months do I want to take this trip? And if you have that dollar amount, you can figure out a monthly number and see how you can work it in your monthly budget. It's always amazing when people start with the end in mind and then work backwards, how much easier it makes all this stuff. I mean, one thing you might do is even delay it, right? Just say, oh, I can't do that. So I, so I'll just. And there's nothing wrong with that. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I'll do the, I'll do the trip later, but you use, use a budgeting system, use like an envelope system, right? Right, right. So basically what I do is more of a virtual envelope system, which, okay. oh, once we started doing this, it just drift, just changed everything drastically for the better. So I take a, typically we tend to have the checking account and the savings account, because that's what we're taught to do. One checking and one savings. But the reality of the fact is you can have many more checkings or savings accounts. So we have one main, what I call the billing account. So the income goes in that account and everything gets paid out of that account in terms of the main bills. But then we have a daily account that that's where like our grocery money, gas money goes into and it automat it's automatically transferred uh, uh, twice a month, a certain amount. And that main or that daily account is where we have that debit card. So that really the key in this is not to have too many debit cards because that's going to get really chaotic. (laughs) And and then from there, there's two other types of accounts that we have. We have our maintenance accounts. So in our maintenance accounts, uh, there's various of those. From there, we separate money for those non-monthly expenses or those bills that don't come every single month. So those are our maintenance accounts. And uh, again, from that main billing account, a certain amount is transferred over into those individual maintenance accounts. And then we have our financial goals. So uh, for example, the future car, we put money every single month for that car, emergency funds, because we continue to put more in that. And then what is the other one? Travel. How can I forget travel? Right, right. We were just talking about it. <laughs> yeah, we were just talking about it. So it's really a system where it's like the main billing account where it's basically the hub where everything go, all the money goes into a daily account where you really is where you spend the most time in because you're using that debit card. And then the rest, it comes from the billing account and it's filtered. And it's basically, you're taking your budget on a spreadsheet and creating your action behind it. You're making it alive. And these are physically, just so people know what you're talking about, these are physically different accounts. These aren't like partitions on a piece of paper. You went down to the bank and or online or whatever and opened up five or six different accounts. Yep. And you can do that. I mean, just know your bank, shop around with your bank, know their fees, know their minimum amounts that you need to have in there, those type of things. As long as you do that, there is one key too. if you decide to use savings accounts by law, just because the banks want you to save by law, you can't do more than six transactions or else they charge you a fee. Uh, So depending on like the type of account that you want created. If you're, let's say for that daily account, it's just a regular checking account because it wouldn't make sense for it to be a savings account. Right. Right. So it's just taking those into consideration and it really helps in tracking 
I don't have to worry about keeping receipts because you can visualize the money so much more easily. It's all just coming out of these these separate places. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. No, it's pretty wild. And it's it's funny. I remember Tony Robbins once saying that when you hear advice, you know, some advice is an outlier, but when you hear it over and over and over, and it's funny how when I see people succeed with their budget, I keep hearing this similar envelope strategy, different iterations, like yours is different yes. than, than Mitchell Walker, who was on uh, January 1st, but, but, but they're, you know, everybody's got a little different way of doing it. How long did it take yours to get where it is now though? Well, we started the, uh, this virtual envelopes, I would say about six years ago is when we started. Yeah. And then it took a few years to get it to where we wanted because sometimes on those maintenance accounts, sometimes I would, I would realize, oh, our kids' uh, summer camps or our kids' sports. I forgot to consider that in the factor. So it's just it took a you know a little while to really get it to where we want it. And sometimes things shift and life changes, and we just adjust to that. I love this though. I mean, you know, I love the message of don't worry about it being absolutely right at first. It took you a long time to get it where it is now. Right. And then again, even when you do get it right, then life will uh, throw you a curveball. Life <laughs> it makes it wrong. Is, right? <laughs> you know, we move a lot. So each time we move, we have to readjust anyways. Right. <laughs> yeah. But realistically, along the way, it didn't take you that long to set this up. Oh, no, it's not hard to set up. If you have a clear budget and you have an idea of where everything goes, you can create really those categories in your budget can become accounts or you can combine some of those categories uh, to one main category and that becomes an account. So it really depends all on you. The last piece I want to talk about today and what's funny is, I mean, we're talking about the very beginning of your book, chapters one through four of a mm-hmm. book that's 23 chapters long, just to give people an idea <laughs> of, of how little we're covering versus what's in the book. But the future money talk, you say mm-hmm. that, that people's future money, a lot of people don't have a future money story. No, no, we don't. We have maybe some dreams, right? We may have some idea of uh, what we want. What's the difference? Really- the difference is on the money piece. Like, how do we want to feel about money? Because we may have dreams of living in a mansion or having three cars or whatever that is for you, but we don't think about how we want to feel about money. Because if we have these dreams of having these big, uh, big house, but we may still fear money. We may still have limiting beliefs, right? So you want to uh, have visions of the future of that. You want to get excited when you look at the sure. bank account, right? Yeah. That you know, you're confident that when you swipe that card, everything's going to be fine. Or that you are confident that, and you're so confident in your money that you're giving uh, more to charity, whatever that is that excites you. But it's really about how you want to feel. It's what you want in your financial future, but how you want to feel around money as well. It, it sounds like that that would kind of drive everything. Like I'm, I'm not surprised Absolutely. people people don't have it because I would ask people, "What do you want to do later?" And they'd always go, uh, "I just want more." I don't know. Exactly. <laughs> and that doesn't get you anywhere. So having that, I mean, sounds like it would be it'd be the driver. I love this quote from the book, the vision that you glorify in your mind, the ideal that you enthrone in your heart, this will become your life by, and this you will become. Nice Absolutely. Stuff. Good stuff. Absolutely. Uh, Jen, you've been very generous, not just with your time, but also generous about this book because you're making it available differently for our listeners than for everybody else. Yes. So 
really, if you go to jenhemphill.com forward slash stackers, is this page just for you? Basically, what I am doing is right now, if you're listening to this on the day that this episode is released, the book is free on Kindle on Amazon. But if you're listening to this later, just by going to that page, I'm going to give you the digital version of the book, no matter what. Shut so up. Get, be free. Shut yes. up. No, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. <laughs> that, is, that, is, that is very, very nice. That's amazing. Thank you very much. Oh, no problem. My pleasure. And, and by the way, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about the Her Money Matters podcast, the awesome podcast. Tell everybody about the show, the two people that don't know about it. <laughs> Well, basically the show as the title of the podcast is Her Money Matters. It's really the purpose is to have money talk for women. Of course, his money matters too, because I know the men listening and I'm like, what about us? His money matters too. But really it's just, uh, I wanted a safe space for women to talk money. Uh, we talk about money stories. I interview all sorts of women on money stories. And I also interview financial experts. And I do solo episodes as well with the questions from my listeners. So it's just been a really, really fun show. It's funny because the show is fun, partly because when you go in, you don't know which one of those areas you're going to cover. So it's a little something <laughs> different all the time, which is really cool. <laughs> But it's also like the book. I mean, and I didn't even get into all the different things that are in the book. You start off with the money stories, you, uh, talk about your money goals, why self-care matters, uh, talking about money, keeping your your bucket full, dreaming your budget, uh, money wins, accountability, becoming a master mm -hmm. negotiator. We covered that a little bit. The importance of your bottom line, what cash flow really looks like, traditional money skills, picking a money management system. It's, it's all in here. So it's uh hermoneymatters.com forward slash stacker, stacker, stackers, yes. stackers, stackers. Awesome. Stackers. Jen Hempel. Thanks for <laughs> hanging out. Thank you so much, Joe. This has been a blast. And thank your mom again. Cause she <laughs> knew exactly how to treat me. It was she awesome. Way nicer than we are. Hey there, trivia nerds. Man, did I hate that story Jen told about being robbed on the side of the road in Columbia. You know, I have a similar story. Somebody stole my glasses, had them right here, and I'm sure OG took them. So by somebody, I meant OG. Look at how smug he looks sitting over there. We'll take care of him in a second. But how about this trivia question? According to police, how many home break-ins occur during the average time it takes to listen to a Stacking Benjamins podcast? I'll be back with your answer and hopefully an explanation of why OG would take my glasses in just a moment. What will your story be in 2018? Now that the holiday rush is over, LegalZoom can help you make this a memorable year before all the distractions take hold. Finally get serious about launching and running your business. Square away your family's financial future with the right estate plan. You can do all this and more with LegalZoom. LegalZoom's been helping people like you take care of their dreams and responsibilities for more than 16 years. They're not a law firm, but they have the resources to keep you on the right path, including advice from their network of independent attorneys all at your fingertips. LegalZoom plugs right into your life so you can take care of the things that matter most. Go to LegalZoom.com today and get special savings when you enter SB at checkout. LegalZoom, where life meets legal. LegalZoom.com.
Hey, stackers, I'm sure you know by now that both my spouse Cheryl and I use M1 Finance for our personal investments. That doesn't make it right for you. You should do your own homework. We'll call that our disclaimer here up top. But recently, we've had exciting news from the team at M1 Finance. They've announced they're now a completely free-to-use investing platform. You heard that right. No fees, no commissions outside of the investments themselves. I sat down with Brian Barnes, CEO and founder, and asked what made him decide to make M1 Finance free. We believe in the future, all investing platforms will be free. So it was a decision to get ahead of the curve. It's obviously beneficial for the customer who will save money and be able to invest more. For M1, we have other sources of revenue, which were greater than the fee we charge. So the more people using M1, the better for us as well. So how about that? No fees, no commissions, just you with more money to save and in control of your portfolio. They'll even invest fractional shares for you. You take the wheel or have them invest in a professionally managed approach like some of the robo companies out there. It takes only a minute to sign up. Start by heading over to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash M1 Finance. M1 Finance, be invested. Hey there, trivia fans. Big misunderstanding. I was uh, I was so sure OG took my glasses and there they were on my head the whole time. Imagine that. But he's not off the hook yet. Somebody stole my car keys and I'm pretty sure OG did it. That guy is slippery. He'll cop to that pretty soon. But for now, let's get you your trivia answer. Today's question was this. How many home break-ins occur during the average time it takes to listen to a Stacking Benjamins podcast? Assuming that an average episode of this podcast is an hour long, feels like four hours sometimes, using police statistics, which say that in the U.S., a home burglary occurs every 13 seconds, it's some simple math to find out that 277 home break-ins occur during a single episode of Stacking Benjamins. I wonder if there's a correlation there. There's good news, though. While home break-ins are to steal your stuff, here at Stacking Benjamins, we only steal your time. That's got to be better, right? See ya! Great point, Doug. Yeah. The one thing you can't get back in life, we, <laughs> we take. T- we take from you. And anyway, you're not, you know, we're near close enough. Yeah, sorry. I was underestimating the crime. Now, yeah, but while 277 sounds like a ton, when you think about the number of people that live in the United States, seriously. Oh, to- totally way better. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> don't you feel much safer about that now that there's the only chances of being burgled are very small so only 277 feel... in an hour in an hour yeah i should feel really uh really fortunate every day thanks to jen hempel for coming down and sharing uh money stories with us being held up on the side of the road when you're a kid uh, it's gonna leave a mark yeah not good it certainly did and it's interesting to see uh how Jen, uh, you know, not only coped, I mean, she and I didn't talk about this, but not only coped, but really turned it to her advantage, right? All these things that she does now because of who she was, a lot of self-examination right. and, and turning things on their head. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline. How about that, OG? How about it? And tackle let's some of it. life's or rather life insurance's most important questions. Our friends over at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they've been spearheading innovation within the life insurance industry by focusing on what you value most Market corrections and CNBC guests. <laughs> Specifically, Jeremy Siegel. He's okay, dude. 
<laughs> it's actually your family and your time, but that's a good three and four. I like that. That's why they created a high-quality and, most importantly, affordable term life insurance policy issued by MassMutual. You can purchase entirely online. No need to wait several weeks, OG, for a decision when you can get one, bam, right now with Haven Life. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now to get a free quote and learn about life insurance the modern way. I always wonder when I go, bam, who I woke up. Like there's somebody in the audience who's on their run, did not expect me to go, bam, gotcha. Congratulations. That was for you, person. The power of your voice is is insane. It's a little scary. And not nearly as scary is this uh, note from Michael. Say hi, Michael. Hello, Joe and the OG. I had a question regarding my HSA. The HSA provider that is offered and supported through my employer doesn't offer investment options and instead seems to to just be a glorified savings account. Is there any way that I can invest those funds or what are my options? Thank you. And I hope to finally learn something while waiting for dessert. Finally. Mm, And I like dessert too. Don't know what he's talking about, but let's talk HSAs OG. What do you think? I think you should quit his job, throw his stuff at his boss and go, I'm leaving. This HSA sucks. Out of this dump. And it's all because of the HSA. Yeah. HSAs are uh, totally portable. You can have more than one. You can transfer money from one to the other without a penalty or a cost. But here's the thing to be aware of. Your employer may not, well, will not probably match or give you kind of that HSA extra bonus money that they usually do in somebody else's HSA. So they've got a preferred provider with the you know XYZ company, and that's where their 80 bucks a month is going to go. You got to keep that open. But if you want to invest part of it or whatever, you just open a new one somewhere else and transfer the money. Um, So no harm, no foul. You can have 100 HSAs if you please. I don't think that there's that many necessary, maybe two at most. But uh, combined limits are still the max, right? You know, you can only put in the maximum regardless of how many HSAs you have. It works just like an IRA, Not, not particular. Well, but here's the question is that if you're working somewhere with a 401k, sometimes you can roll it over, but it depends on if if they have uh, uh, right plan documents that say. They yeah, can. right. In-service withdrawal. That's what I'm trying mm-hmm. to come up with. Is that the I was same just here? Let you hang out there for a while. I knew Thanks. What you're looking for. Yeah, nice. Yep. It is Not that kind. It's that kind I'm of that day. Guy, I, speaking of lifeline, I'm that guy going. Are you struggling out there? Do you? Uh, I got huh. this uh, circle thing I could throw you. Uh, you look like you're good. I may have above water. I may have a story about that later. Maybe, uh, okay. yeah, maybe, is it an interesting story or not? Probably not, but I'm going to okay. tell it anyway. Cause I think it's funny. <laughs> Cause you're the headliner of this program. <laughs> I didn't say that. You're the show right now, man. You're go, go, go. So no, no restrictions at the plan level. Um, uh, which is what you're getting at. Does the plan have to allow yes. it? No, it does not. Excellent. Thanks for the question. Just open a new one, dude. We also get letters down here in the basement, and uh, Doug's already getting excited about Valentine's Day because I can see the way he goes to the mail. Valentine's Day? And he gets more disappointed every day when he brings down the mail that there's none for him, which... Uh, uh, this one comes to us from Tracy. Tracy says, Joan OG, longtime listener of the show in the last several years. Many podcasts have come and gone from my podcast library like a fine wine. Well, that might be a little much, but the Stacky Benjamin show has been first on the playlist for all those years. Thanks, Tracy. 
Thank you for providing great content in an entertaining fashion. My question, my wife previously has done some part-time work for a very small company. She parted ways with that company in 2016. One of her frustrations was that payroll was managed by a family member of the owner and was at times very disorganized. To her surprise, at the beginning of 2017, she received a paycheck via automatic deposit from this business, although she had not recently worked for them. I like, I like not working for somebody and still getting paid. I know. How does that work? I like where uh, this is going. So so I wonder if this is an email then about how he moves to a different country and protects that money. You think so? <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. Let's see. Let's soldier on. She contacted the business owner and the funds were withdrawn from her bank account. Oh, Tracy's <clears throat> Tracy's wife did, did the right thing. That's so disappointing. Fast forward one year and we just received a W-2 from this company. Oh, <laughs> that's so good. Uh, for the amount of the payment. My wife has contacted the business owner who's going to address with the individual who does payroll. I know that you cannot give specific advice, but my question is this. How does the process work when a company files a W-2 in error and is this easily and quickly remedied? Should we be requesting some specific documentation or form from the company to support this was an error on their part? My family has a straightforward tax picture and I've always done my taxes using a software program I can only imagine the headaches and scrutiny if we file a tax return in which income is not reported by us that has previously been reported on a W-2. We're anticipating a return this year, so I'm anxious to file my taxes promptly, or if this situation warrants the involvement of a tax professional, I want to move quickly. Never learned a thing? I guess that's why I keep listening. Thanks, Tracy. Thanks, Tracy. And uh, let's talk about uh, doing a do-over with the IRS. So they're definitely going to have to file a new form with the IRS and you're going to want a copy of it. It's going to be a corrected W-2. Now, when you go to file your taxes, you can put in that W-2 if you want as all zeros to kind of show that you received that there was a W-2 that was all zeros. But you definitely want a copy of that. So it should be a pretty easy fix for them, pretty painless. All they have to do is just uh, fill out a new W-2, the employer side of it, send it to the IRS on your behalf, but mark the box at the top that says corrected. And that just tells the IRS this is the most recent version of it. Um, Use this one instead of the other one. And so when they uh, match it up in their computer systems later on down the line, it should work itself out. So not the end of the world, an extra step, but it, but it really shouldn't take them but just a few days to process this for you and get you a copy of it back. Thanks for the question, Tracy. You got a question for us. Here's what you do. You uh, head to stackingbenjamins.com and right on the top of the website, you know what it says? It says question for the show. Click that link and you'll find all the ways you can communicate with us. And uh, we're happy to take your question. Thanks also to everybody who's left a review of this here podcast. Tells people what type of uh, dangerous activity it is listening to the Stacky Benjamin Show. Mom puts those on the fridge and proudly displays them. She always pretends like she's not standing next to the fridge with her hands out, pointing kind of to the review while the bridge club comes by. But we all know what she's doing, and the bridge mm-hmm. club's even on to her. But that's fine, because... We like helping mom brag to her friends, which is great. So thank you for your involvement in that activity. Thanks to Jen Hempel for coming down to the basement. I know Doug's about to thank her also, but fantastic, fantastic stuff. Her money matters. Just a great read. If you're looking for great financial help in your corner, guess what? OG's taking clients and to find out how to get him in your corner and what that would take, head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash letter O, letter G, and uh, that will lead to his calendar and you can have a one-on-one conversation with the OG. Mano y mano. About that. 
All right, coming up on Wednesday, it's Valentine's Day here in the basement. You know what that means? Frank Sinatra music. Mom's got Frank Sinatra music going all day long. And we've got Elliot Weissman, who is Frank Sinatra's manager. He also was the executor of Frank's uh, trust, uh, which reportedly was $100 million. I said, That's a lot of chocolate bars. I said executor of his trust and all the attorneys out there listening is like, there's no such thing as executor of a trust, Joe. Executor of his estate. Thank you very much. Much better. Much better English there. All right, that's going to do it for today. Doug, what should we have learned? So what did we learn today? First, let's talk about the stock market. No matter what smart people like Jeremy Siegel say about the stock market, focus on your own plan and keep your eyes on the horizon. When stock markets sink, why is a much harder question to answer than financial news shows pretend. Second, your money story? Take some advice from Jen Hemphill. Analyze your past money story to realize how you make decisions, then evaluate your present money story to encourage a better future. Use your future money story then to create exciting goals. That'll help you towards saving money. But the big lesson? You might want to hold off on accusing OG of taking your car keys till you check your back pocket. Ha, turns out they were there the whole time. I'm sure that guy's guilty of something, though. Special thanks to Jen Hemphill for stopping by to talk about her new book, Her Money Matters. You'll find it at Amazon.com and if you use her link, hermoneymatters.com forward slash stackers, you can download a Kindle version for free. Big thanks to Kathleen for helping me realize I've got a lot more money coming in my paycheck next month thanks to the new tax bill. It turns out the El Camino's getting some new wheels because the new Stacking Benjamins course, How to Legally Cheat on Your Taxes, includes all the stuff you need to know about the new tax law changes. Think they don't affect you? Check your paycheck. You might be pleasantly surprised. Check out the course at learn.stackingbenjamins.com and use the code DOUGROCKS for 10% off. Yeah, you're welcome. This show was created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Kathleen Selmans handles design, newsletter, and classroom opportunities. If you'd like to learn more, head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash classes. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. Shannon Cowan is our community manager and social media guru. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm pretty much the guy in charge of everything around here. Trust me, this well-oiled machine didn't get like this all by itself. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor.
Welcome to the after show. This is the part of the show that doesn't exist and uh, Michael talking about dessert. If you have to talk about the after show, you can say dessert, but it's still kind of annoying. Yeah. Um, we both have stories. Mine, I think, is interesting and ha- not ha-ha funny. Yours may or may not be interesting. I thought but, uh, I, I thought you were going to say when you said ha and ha, I thought you were going to say mine is interesting and hot. I'm like, what the hell yeah. are you doing? <laughs> no, no, no. No. All right. It's, not. it's it's a tragedy actually. Ah. Uh, it's a tragedy. So um like in that beachy song. My brother uh works as a stockbroker. Mm-hmm. I think I've mentioned this before. And uh the last week or so has been a little volatile in the stock market, right? I didn't know that. And <clears throat> you didn't notice I didn't either. Um <laughs> true story though, I did not know that the market was down like four and a half percent that one day. <laughs> I was like Somebody was talking to somebody like, oh, the market's really crazy. I'm like, oh, what, what would it do today? Like, seriously, it's down 4.5%. That's when you know you've had a busy day of meetings with clients. Yeah, yeah. And you're focusing on the right stuff, right? Boom, 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 door shuts. Anyways, so here's a trade that you could do. If you're a trader, right, you can trade volatility, Joe. So it's called the VIX, right? And when there's low volatility and just kind of things are melting up, then the VIX is low. And when things swing all over the place, the VIX goes high, right? The other thing you can do is you can trade the inverse of volatility. So you can bet, hey, it's really volatile today, but I think tomorrow it's going to be, it's going to simmer down, right? You can do that. And rather than shorting the VIX, there's actually an investment that goes up when the VIX goes down. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's kind of stupid, but there's a product for everything these days. I'll spare you the ticker symbol, but let's just walk through this math. So my brother has a client who has $200,000 in his brokerage account. And two Fridays ago, decides that it's been pretty volatile the last couple of days. I think it's going to calm down. I'm going to put my 200 grand on this volatility stock, but I'm going to bet that volatility is going down. So I'll make money if volatility declines. Follow? Yep. Further, I'm so convinced in my opinion that I'm going to margin my $200,000 and I'm actually oh. $400,000 worth of stuff. Oh, okay. Okay. So I'm going to buy $400,000 worth of stuff. Well, it's not the end of the world. I mean, you know, this is leverage, right? You're betting the farm and then some. But right? I'm just kind of thinking that volatility has been humming along at some of the lowest numbers ever. And I'm betting big money and money on margin that it's even going to go lower. Well, no, this is on Thursday. So it's already. Yeah, you know, that, yeah, that it's climbed. So you're thinking in it's theory. You're going, hey, this was just a one day deal. Yes, right, We're going right, to get right. back to yeah, quote unquote yeah. normal. No, I get it, but I'm still thinking. Okay, anyway. Okay, swinging for the fences, right? The, the, the he sees this as an underhanded softball pitch, and he's trying to hit it out of the park. Okay, goes to sleep Monday. It's around four hundred thousand dollars in his brokerage account, two hundred thousand of which is a loan. Tuesday, the volatility that he's tracking catches up with the fund and he had bought the fund at $122 a share. What did this volatility index close at Tuesday night? It was 122. That's what he bought it for. What did it close at? A thousand. No, no, no. He makes money when volatility goes down, but we know that volatility went up. So he's losing money, right? Right. Yeah, so you said, what did it close at? If it was at 122 and it goes up, he loses his butt. No, the fund, the fund went from 122 down. 
it's stupid how they do this. It it's it's an inverse fund. I gotcha. Okay? Oh, really the fund stupid. itself is an inverse volatility. Yes. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know. Eleven. One hundred and twenty-two dollars to eleven. Right now, let me which, fast forward. Which is funny because, just as an aside, that was it was kind of my number the opposite way when I said exactly. a, I said yeah, a th- I said a thousand. We're we're yeah, going the same thing. Yes. Right. So it happened so precipitously that the brokerage company couldn't cash him out of his margin when he passed the threshold. So when you have a margin account, right? you have to maintain a certain amount of what they call equity. You have to have so much at the table against what you've borrowed. But this happened in such a fell swoop that they weren't able to do it. So they cashed him out at 36000 against his $400,000 position. And then, ladies and gentlemen, he got a phone call. Hello, sir. Uh, you'll notice in your brokerage account we sold you out of your position at thirty six grand. P.S., you put in 200, we lent you 200. We sold out the 36. Uh, we're going to need a check for $165,000, please. Oh. Could you wire that by close of business? Oh. Oh. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is how you totally piss away <laughs> with no hope for recovery a quarter of a million dollars. Let's talk like about this dude went to bed on Monday night with 400 grand of which 200 was his and went to bed on Tuesday night with an IOU for $160,000. That's a bad day. How much margin would you like, Joe? If you're going to use margin, ladies and gentlemen, buy normal stuff, please. <laughs> Don't buy inverse bear ETFs of volatility or some god awful thing. Anyways, See, it was interesting, but not ha-ha funny. What's your story? Mine was, well, and and mine was kind of a look behind the the curtain at new financial advisors. You were talking about how you were leaving me out there. Just in the old parlance we used to use in the firm I was with, we call it hanging you out to dry, right? Oh, okay. Because here's- The firm I was used to, we call that Bravo Foxtrotting. (laughs) Because because here's here's what would happen. Brand new financial advisors in classes, you'd also spend a lot of time learning about what you were doing, learning about the firm, learning about financial planning. But you go into meetings and generally you wouldn't talk. And then a little bit at yeah. a time, the person you were in meetings with would let you talk a little bit, a little bit more and a little bit more. And in my particular office, the training staff, the experienced advisors that would go into meetings with clients with you as you're learning the ropes, they would have a meeting and you never knew when it was coming, but you knew it was coming when they would quote, hang you out to dry. Meaning it was the the one meeting where they were going to sit there and they were going to let you spin your wheels because it was time to take the training wheels off. And so... Uh, Joe, why don't you show us in the plan where you came up with that calculation? Right. <laughs> and, 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 and you would... And you had to be ready for that all the time, which made you learn the stuff faster, right? Sure. You would learn the stuff faster so you're ready for clients faster because you didn't know... Anytime, man, this guy's going to embarrass me in front of the client. So my friend Tony... Uh, big guy, right? Just, just, just a big, big, funny dude. And Tony goes in with his trainer, Tom, to a meeting. And Tony's at the point in his training where he's doing a good part of the meeting. And it's a first meeting with these particular clients. And Tony starts off asking them some questions about their goals. 
And then he asks about how much money they have. And Tony gets everything down on paper in front of him. And he sits and it becomes clear to Tom very quickly that Tony's reached the end of his rope. Tony has no idea where to go from what, here. What to do next. Yeah. So Tony turns to Tom and says, kind of jovially, because Tony's a very jovial guy, goes, hey, Tom, so so what do you think of this? And Tom looks back at Tony with this little grin on his face and goes, I don't know, Tony, what do you think about it? And Tony goes, oh, sh- he's hanging me out to dry in this meeting. And Tom told this story better than anybody else because he's got the front row seat, right? Tony immediately goes from jovial Tony to sweaty, sweating bullets, big time sweating in a suit and tie, Tony. Yeah. And he leans over the numbers and he goes, <sighs> and then he makes himself some fake notes, which Tom knows he's not writing anything. Um, uh, Mr. Klein, anything else you want to add? Anything you want to want to add besides this? What are you feeling about this stuff? The guy's like, well, I don't know. I just don't, I don't know what to do. And then Tony goes, well, that's interesting. Tom, what do you think you should do? And Tom goes, well, I think you're thinking the same thing I'm thinking, Tony. Why don't you tell him? And Tony goes, <laughs> and now, and now, now the client's like, dang, what do I got cancer or what's the deal? Well, the client does. The client leans forward and goes, is it really that bad, Tony? And Tony looks up, realizing his flipping lifeline. All of a sudden, it's as if this ray of light comes down on him. And he yeah. looks up at the client and he goes, oh, yeah, it's really bad. And it's going to cost you $350 for me to figure this out for you. And the, the client goes, well, if it's that bad, I think I got to pay you. Deal. <laughs> now, the good news for people that hate that story as much as I do Tom knew what he was doing with financial planning and the client I'm sure ended up getting a great financial plan and ended up getting value for their money. (laughs) But the fact that the client purchased Tony's inability to do anything just still makes me laugh. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like people that listen to this show (laughs) that continually purchase our inability to do anything. That's why like, only we have no commitment to to any <laughs> any semblance of excellence any, anywhere. Actually, people think we're joking when we say if you learn something, keep it to yourself because it's probably not right. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> I tend to think that we're right about a lot of stuff. So we try not uh, to do any of the teaching stuff for sure. All right, kids, have a great day. All right, don't do margin and don't hire a brand new advisor. But uh. Becoming a member at Navy Federal Credit Union can help you earn more and save more. Their certificate options could earn you more than standard savings accounts with competitive rates. Not all financial institutions offer you as many choices for savings options as Navy Federal does. For example, you could start your savings journey with a low minimum deposit, add money at any time, and watch your savings grow. Thanks to flexible terms, you can use Navy Federal savings options for all kinds of goals, short or long term. Considering a big home improvement project, maybe you want to consolidate debt. Well, if you're thinking consolidation, that's part of your plan. You could borrow up to 100% of your home's equity with a fixed rate home equity loan 
with zero closing cost or easily borrow as you go with a home equity line of credit. What I like, you make your plan first and then you use the appropriate instrument to get you there. And Navy Federal has them. Both options could help make life's big expenses seem more manageable. To learn more, visit NavyFederal.org at Navy Federal. Our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA. Equal housing lender. Membership required. Terms and conditions apply. Loan subject to approval.